Hello and welcome to NSTA, the bus stop. This is the official podcast of the National School Transportation Association. I am Kurt Mackison, Executive Director. And with me today is Claire Miller. She's Senior Vice President, Strategy, Business Development, Marketing, and Communications for NSTA's largest member, First Student. Claire's also been on the podcast previously. And Claire, thanks for coming back. We're celebrating Women's History Month. So glad you can jump on NSTA, the bus stop, and you know, spend some time with us. Thanks for having me, Kurt. Listen, you know, I told the listeners you're a repeat guest, but you know, just to refresh everyone's memory, and this is also one of the parts of the podcast I really like because when you meet people through the podcast, everyone has a different entry point into student transportation, and I know that you do as well. We've talked about it, you know, offline. But it'd be great to give our listeners a look into your your background and, of course, your current role with First Student. Sure, I'd be happy to, Kurt. And first, I have to say I really appreciate you celebrating Women's History Month because we have so much talent in the student transportation industry on the female side. So it's just wonderful that you're you're you know raising this up at this month and taking advantage of the of the time. My job has been revenue growth for first student and, as you'd said, marketing, sales, strategy, et cetera. With that, I have been in this industry for five years and just loved every minute of that and then continuing to learn. With first student, it's been a great journey. Before that, I had experience in marketing, sales, and operations in consumer packaged companies, Procter & Gamble and Kimberly Clark, as well as business-to-business companies, including Honeywell and Newell Brands. And so coming into the student transportation industry has been just a whole dose of new learnings and, and a great experience. Yeah. And I you know, go back to 2019, and I think you joined the board of directors at that time. It was also my first year with NSTA, so we kind of grown in the industry together. But can you talk about the partnership between NSTA and First Student and how that's really kind of continues to evolve? Absolutely. NSTA and First Student have a very good partnership because NSTA brings value to our company and to all the members. The What we find at First Student, we gain a lot from interacting with our counterparts, the other companies that serve kids in transportation. We gain a lot by learning their best practices. When we talk about issues like driver shortages or sanitization with COVID or social distancing, it helps a lot to share best practices so that we can all serve our student passengers better. Also with NSCA, One of the most important things is we find NSTA brings a good level of advocacy for self-operated, for contracted out student transportation companies. Contractors often get the short end of the stick when it comes to funding and regulations because it's appealing for politicians to fund self-operated school districts and just give money directly to the districts. So, What politicians don't often hear is the story about how contractors can offer better service, safer service, more efficient service. And so it helps tremendously for us to have a platform 
through an STA to make our words heard. And we get that through both NSTA just uh, being a strong force, as well as through prime policy and our lobbyists, including Becky Weber. Becky was able to secure, for all of us, substantial funding through the CERTS program. And that would not have happened without NSTA. So we find NSTA just to be a, a great value add for all of our contracted out partners. Well, that's really well said, Claire, and you know, appreciate the kind words. And, and just to morph this discussion in, into something more specific, we know that the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act had a pretty large program, Clean School Bus Program, through the Environmental Protection Agency. It's $5 billion for clean school buses. I mean, that's a tremendous impact on the industry throughout the country. What's your take on the, you know, the clean school bus program through EPA? Well, first, it's a terrific idea. And it's note that this is the first substantial funding that is dedicated from the federal government only to school, yellow school buses. What a tremendous thing. It's very, it's a very good thing. And the reason is that yellow school buses are optimal for electrification. First of all, if you think about it, children standing at bus stops are breathing in the air when the buses arrive and depart. And those buses, if they're diesel fueled, can be emitting pollutants and particulates. The clean buses, the electric buses have zero emissions. So right away, you can imagine that children taking an electric school bus to school might be breathing in fewer pollutants. As a matter of fact, there are studies showing that children who are exposed to uh, less emissions have better test scores and less incidences of asthma. So therefore, this is just a good thing for kids. And also the emphasis of clean yellow school buses is helpful for our whole global and, and national footprint of emissions. We're not emitting as much in total. With 500,000 or so yellow school buses driving around the country, the more we can electrify, the less total uh, pollutants get out there. And then just finally, it's very important to know that Yellow school buses are optimal for electrification because they're running short, predictable routes, one, two, or three tiers in the morning. They come back, they can charge one, two, and three tiers in the afternoon. Not many fleets have such predictable routes and short routes like that. Also, the fleet of yellow buses often are you know, quite large, and they're all showing up in one location. So to have 25, 50, 100 buses all in one location makes for more efficient infrastructure usage and charging. So just all the way around, yellow buses are terrific for electrification. So this program is great in that it addresses that only, yellow school bus transportation only. It's great because it's substantial. $5 billion will make a difference. Also, it's important to know that the US EPA is still working through how they will administer the funds. And a good thing to note is that they are asking for input and appear to be listening carefully to people giving input. We've given input as a company. I know NSTA has. I know WRI has. I know other providers have. And many of our own customers have given input to the US EPA, and they appear to be listening. And um, so what we would expect to come out of that is that they're going to administer the funds in a way that should be helpful for all of us. 
Now, I, you know, I couldn't agree more, Claire. And yeah, to kind of amplify your point, there was a listening session that EPA held in December of 2021. You and I both took the couple minutes that they gave us to testify and I think opened some eyes about, you know, how student transportation, you know, actually operates. I think there is a, you know, knowledge deficit with respect to the public-private division of, you know, student transportation that we're continually trying to educate, you know, policymakers about specifically the operation of the school bus. So I know that you've spent personally a lot of time on the school bus initiative, but maybe you can highlight for everyone, you know, what steps First Student is taking as a company to embrace electrification, because this thing is evolving so quickly. You know, it's probably gone from a, a mere curiosity, you know, four or five years ago to something that we're really seeing the impact of. And, and you were telling me in, you know, the pre-tape about, you know, your your project up in Quebec in, in Canada. So this is now becoming a reality in a lot of places. And so how is First Student embracing that? Well, sure. I'd I'd be happy to talk. First of all, I'll say we are we have purchased or submitted purchase order for 260 electric buses in Quebec. We're taking advantage of federal funding there, a major federal or a major I'm sorry, provincial uh, level program there. And and by the way, in Canada also there is a major federal uh, grant program that has been announced too. So we're working to take advantage of that. And in the U.S., we're identifying funds to cover the difference in total cost of ownership for over 100 vehicles right now and working to order those vehicles and bring them to our customers. So we have a lot in our pipeline. We're working to bring a whole lot more in. To answer your question, the steps that First Student has taken is first to just invest in the time, energy, and staffing to embrace rollout electric vehicles to every customer we can. To be clear, Every customer wants electric vehicles. We have not found a customer to say, no, they do not want electric. The reason they all want electric is for what I said, better for kids, better for the environment, and better for our constituents. And the challenge is everybody, I'm sure, on this call and, and listening would know is that the challenge is that electric buses cost substantially more, sometimes as much as three times as, as much as a diesel-fueled uh, bus. And then on top of that, you have the cost of the infrastructure. So you're looking at a major increase in total cost of ownership. Now, many people like to say you save money on maintenance and you save money on fuel. Electricity often doesn't cover or doesn't cost as much as the uh, diesel. And that is true. What I will tell you is that those don't move the needle much. The upfront cost of the vehicle and the infrastructure far surpass those savings. So to be clear, grant money is needed or some kind of funding plug is needed to cover the difference in total cost of ownership between uh, diesel and electric. And so what First Student has done is we, we've done a lot of homework to figure out what that total cost of ownership is in each location where, we, where we're looking at electric. We have staffed up and putting, we're turn, turning over every stone looking for all sources of grant funding as well as figuring out what we can generate in revenue with vehicle-to-grid capabilities, what we can find in terms of low-carbon fuel subsidies, and any other source. So we're, we have staffed up and are turning over every stone looking for grant funding. And then also we've staffed up in finding 
creating the right expertise in-house so that we can work with partners to design the infrastructure and install it buy the infrastructure, buy the vehicles, and and work through that. So at, at, at First Student, we've just put in the effort and made it a corporate priority to offer electric vehicles. As a result, we expect to be 40% electric in 10 years and 50% electric by the year 2040. Those are really impressive numbers. And, you know, while you were, you know, talking through you know, you know the total cost of ownership. It, it did strike me as one piece of the conversation, and perhaps we haven't talked about this a whole lot, is in the transition from you know diesel-powered buses to electric school buses. One of the factors on the side of diesel buses or, or diesel engines, in particular, is their durability. Versus now we're entering an, a new era where I think perhaps we're quite unsure about the durability ultimately of, of electric buses, although, you know, as technology evolves, you, you know, at some point they probably get on par. But do you think that in your educating, you know, not just school districts, but parents and the communities, you, you know, about this transition, that there are just factors like that, that folks have to consider, you know, as we go through this evolution? Yeah, absolutely. And as you think about the cost, I mean, there's a lot we don't know. A big piece of the cost of an electric bus is the battery, and we don't yet have information on how long that battery will last. OEMs come up with different estimates, and even the world's experts on battery electric buses are not clear on how long those batteries will will last. So, once you you know, once a battery goes out, we we suspect a battery will go out before the bus needs to be replaced, the, the bus body of the bus. So so the rest of the bus, we expect to last as long as current diesel buses last, because right now it appears the models are close to or exactly the same uh, for the body. Now, there are some manufacturers, not in the U.S., that are looking at creating electric buses that are made out of uh, composite materials, materials that are different than the, the current buses are. And, you know, there's a question about that. It's lighter, is it is durable and, and safe is a question. But for the current models that are available today, we expect the battery to be the big question mark. At First Student, you know, just for our own um, financial modeling, as we look at total cost of ownership, we estimate the battery and we put in our financial models, we typically put seven years, meaning that we expect to replace the the battery in seven years. So we'll, we'll see how that turns out. And, you know, we'll, we'll uh, keep each other abreast of that. Yeah, that's uh, great information. And this has been, uh, you know, great information overall on, the, on this podcast. And as time is winding down, I want to hit on two two points that we can get to. And one is, you know, we've been talking about electric school buses primarily, but um, a, as we know, there's a DERA program out there. NSTA has a big been a big supporter of DERA. DERA changed out, you know, buses I think currently from 2009 or older. You know, but you, in, under that program, you can still purchase a you know biodiesel bus. But what about some of these other alternative fuel buses like CNG and propane? Is, is there still going to be a role for them in the in the interim, or are we kind of going to go you know more directly from from diesel to electric? What's what's your sense of that, Claire? There's got to be a role for CNG and propane in the short term because there's a lot of unknown with electric. 
So as we learn with electric, we still need to be providing vehicles that are uh, a cleaner. And certainly some contractors are uh, embracing propane and, and CNG. So they'll certainly continue to do that. And, and that's about it. I th- you know, there, there will be a role for that. CNG and propane are also being funded with the EPA's clean bus program, as well as the DIRA funding. So, you know, there's certainly going to be the funding there for them. And then, you know, again, some many providers and self-operated districts have invested in in propane and CNG and and like the buses. So they they will likely be around for a while. Yeah. And I I guess to clarify for listeners, so we're talking about the DIRA program, which is power source agnostic. So that could be electric. I think the ratio under DIRA is a little higher for electric, but also can be biodiesel, propane, or CNG. Under the EPA, the new EPA Clean School Bus Program, the $5 billion, $2.5 billion is specifically set aside for electric school buses. Another $2.5 billion is set aside for the alternative fueled buses. So just to make sure everybody's on the same page, because it can get quite confusing out there. Hey, Claire, a lot of great information. If folks want to learn more about First Students Electrification Initiative, where can they go to find that information? Sure. Go to firststudentinc.com slash electric, or you can email firststudentelectric.com, and we're happy to answer any questions. And and always, I'd welcome emails from any of our listeners. So you can reach me directly at claire.miller at firstgroup.com. Well, great. Once again, our guest at NSTA, the bus stop, Claire Miller, Senior Vice President, Strategy, Business Development, Marketing, and Communications for First Student. And she's also joining us during Women's History Month. Hey, Claire, as always, great conversation. Thanks so much for joining me at NSTA, the bus stop, and be well. Thank you, Kurt. I enjoyed it.